Hey everybody, welcome to ARE Live. I'm Mark Tier, the founder of Black Spectacles, and today um, we have a couple of special guests, and we're going to be talking about the steps for getting licensed. Um, as we go through this episode, you know, you're going to walk away, you have sort of a real clear understanding of everything you need um, to do to get licensed, because there's a variety of steps, um, and you'll even learn some helpful tips you can start using right away to help you get there even faster. Um, uh, it's sort of one of those um, semi kind of bureaucratic kind of processes that you just kind of have to like put your head down and get through. Um, and so um, with uh, our two guests today, we're gonna help you figure out how to do that. Uh, before we get started, if you'd like to attend our next ARE Live broadcast, where we'll have a discussion about how to navigate the case studies for ARE 5.0 with Mike Newman, you can visit blackspectacles.com slash podcast to register. And then during the broadcast, you'll have a chance to ask questions um, to Mike, um, and, um, and we'll review them um, during the, the live broadcast. Um, a couple notes about some updates to our products. Um, those of you who, you know, you, hopefully you guys know, you know, we do exam prep for ARE 4 and ARE 5. Um, about six months ago, we launched practice exams and flashcards. Um, and I'm pleased to say that um, we actually just uploaded, um, I think it was about 200 more practice exam questions. Um, so there's a bunch of new practice exam questions. We have a process we're working through right now to develop a ton more. Um, so that's sort of an ongoing process for us. And um, I was just talking to Megan, who's helping to develop our flashcard product, and she told me that she just uploaded 2,000 new flashcards um, for a total of like 3,300 or something like that. So <laughs> there's a ton of flashcards um, uh, that we just uploaded. So a couple of new, um, couple of new uh, updates to those products. And you should also know that some of you are currently in our group coaching program where we pair you up with um, a small group of about five to six architects who are on the exact same path to licensure that you are. And we pair you up with a coach, um, someone who's um, recently passed these exams. Um, we have a couple of those, uh, more than a couple, um, a variety of those groups that are moving forward right now. You should know starting in May, we're actually gonna open up our next cohort um, so keep your eyes opened for that. Lastly, I often like to remind folks if you'd like your boss to pay for your Black Spectacles membership, be sure to tell them about our firm licenses for any size firm. And that's, I mean, whether you work at a 10-person or a 10,000-person firm, we have a variety of different firm licenses that give multiple users access. You have a group admin reporting all that good stuff. So you can go to blackspectacles.com slash firms, um, and you can uh, learn more about that and submit an inquiry. We can um, tell you more information about that. Lastly, um, uh, we, today we do have a special discount on Black Spectacles individual memberships to share, so we'll talk about it at the end. Um, my very special guest today, um, I have the pleasure of um, meeting with Jessica Parmenter. Um, she is an architectural intern and the Illinois State Licensing Advisor. She works uh, at uh, Sullivan, Goulette, and Wilson Architects here in Chicago. Uh, pleasure to meet you, Jessica. Hi. And, um, uh, we also have the pleasure of being with uh, Gabriella Byerly. Um, she's a job captain um, at Arrow Street in Boston, Massachusetts. How are you, Gabriella? I'm fine. Thanks for having me. Yeah, happy to, happy to have you. Um, so these two folks, experts in uh, the, the different processes, and I think maybe to start out of the gate, um, here's one thing that you might not realize is actually the sort of the steps and the and the rules and regulations for how to get licensed, they actually vary state by state. Um, there are certainly some parts that are sort of consistent and common between states, but 
there's not one way to pursue it. You have to basically talk to your specific person from your state to understand um, the process, which is why we have two folks from two different states. We all know which state is better, um, but uh, <laughs> nevertheless, I'm just kidding. Um, we have the two of them. So um, maybe, Gabriella, I'll start with you. Um, can you walk me through or walk us through what are the educational requirements uh, for getting licensed, and what about those who want to uh, who went to school outside of the United States? How does that work? Yes. Um, so it may be important to just clarify the general process to get licensed, and that is the sum of education plus experience plus examination. In order to be licensed in the U.S., candidates need to complete some form of these three. Um, and so to start with education, um, generally you either need to earn a professional degree that is accredited by the National Architectural Accrediting Board. Um, U.S. architects and foreign educate, educated licensed candidates without a degree from an accredited program can have their education assessed through the ESA program, which means Education Evaluation Services for Architects. And then there's the IPAL track, which we'll talk about later, which will provide students the opportunity to complete the experience and examination requirements for licensure while earning the, the degree. So it's in tandem. Um, all of this is to say that it's dependent on your state's requirements. So for instance, uh, Wisconsin and New York, uh, the professional degree is not required there, or uh, additional experience can be accepted as an alternative to the education requirements. Um, so always important to check with the state board or the licensing advisor, such as myself and Jessica, what is needed in order to become licensed in that particular jurisdiction. Okay. Um, Jessica, anything to add here? Um, yeah, that was a really good description of all of the different options. Um, we already mentioned that it's really important to know where you're going to get your initial license um, and how to check for the regulations within that jurisdiction. Um, in terms of education, I do think it's important to, um, to verify whether or not the degree you received or the degree that you're going for is accredited by NAB. Um, and if it's not, you still have some options like Gabby mentioned in Wisconsin and New York. They have some slightly different requirements um, when it comes to evaluating your education. So if you, let's say you didn't get a five-year professional degree that's accredited by NAB in the state of New York, they have um, a very specific note on uh, the website that says applicants with a four-year pre-professional degree in architecture must document five years of experience as an alternative to the education requirement. So if you have a non-NAB accredited degree, but you have five years of experience documented, then you can use that as sort of a package to take to your state and um, fulfill those requirements for the state of New York. Okay, but for the most part, if I'm following you guys right here, right, trick is you need to have an accredited degree and it needs to be accredited by NAB. So if you're way early, if you're thinking about going to college right now um, and you're watching or listening to this, um, sort of being super proactive, I would be super impressed if that were you, um, then you would say, okay, I want to make sure that I uh, have a, a degree from a, uh, accredited, a NAB accredited program. Um, and if you happen to have a degree that's not accredited, you're not totally out of luck, um, you have some options, right? 
Correct. Yeah. And where, where are you going to go find? Where are you going to go learn about those options if you were someone who, um, who didn't have an accredited degree? Where would you go, uh, Jessica? To to learn about um, the requirements that you would need if you're pursuing a degree for the first time. No, if you let's say you had one that okay your degree wasn't accredited and you're like oh crap what am I going to do? Sure. Yeah. Um, I think the first place to start would be uh, NCARB's website. And if you go to the getting licensed section of their website, they have a licensing requirement tool. And that's exactly what it's called. Um, you, you can click on that tool, you can engage with it in a couple of different ways. There's a, a larger map where you can click on your state and see some very brief information. Um, you can also click on a detailed version of that where it will show you what NCARB's position on the requirements are and then how your state um, is different or similar to NCARB's position. Um, I, I would say there's a list, number four and number five on the list <laughs> are where to look first for your education requirements. Okay, great. So um, some wisdom here is uh, NCARB's website's a great place to go. Uh, and pardon my not super, man, that is terrible writing. I don't know what is going on here today. I should stop going so fast. Um, NCARB website. But it's also really good if you do have a degree, uh, it's good to check with your school too. You know, they're going to have access to information because they go through the process of getting accredited. So if they've done that, they'll have a pretty good um, uh, idea of what to tell you and how to transfer that to NCARB once you establish your record and, and want to get the ball rolling. Awesome. Right, and to stuff. add to that, uh, just a comment that while Jessica and I are serving as state architect licensing advisors, the schools usually have one representative in each architecture school that is an architect licensing advisor for NCARB. So make sure to find that person because they, they're definitely in your school. Yeah, that's a great piece of advice, and I think you're going to, for those of you who are listening in here, you're going to hear a couple of really common things, um, and that is check with NCARB's website, <laughs> call your licensing advisor, um, and uh, understand that all these things, they, they vary a little bit uh, by state, so you're going you're gonna to want, that's why you're going to want to talk to your state licensing advisor, because they know the ins and outs of, um, you know, of what's going on with your state. So let's go on to the next one here. Um, and Gabriella, I'll start with you. Um, tell folks, what should they know about the IPAL program? Um, should they consider going to an IPAL school? So for those of you who are listening in, who um, maybe you're a parent of, of, of someone who, of a, a child who's thinking about going to school, or maybe you're thinking about it yourself, um, what should they know and what should they consider? So the IPAL is a very recent um, program that NCARP has been supporting. Um, what, what that allows um, candidates to do is uh, complete requirements for the licensure while earning their degree. So again, let's go back to those three components that I had mentioned before. It's education plus experience plus examination. What they are suggesting is that the education component happens in tandem with the examination component. And so uh, the students that are in these programs test for the registration while attending architecture school. Um, this uh, program has had schools submitting proposed curricula to NCARB, and NCARB has been approving them. And so there is a list of programs that have been accepted to host, to, to have the IPL program on the NCARB website. 
uh, and each school is different because what they're doing is saying, here is my proposed curriculum. Uh, this is how we can make it work. And so NCARB is uh, tasked to then evaluate and say, yes, this works or no, this doesn't work. Um, so I'll give you an example of uh, the Boston Architectural College here, uh, which I, I work with uh, constantly. Uh, their students are, are usually attending school while working. Um, and so that makes total sense for them to test while going to our sister school. So that, uh, the, that the BAC became part of the IPAL program very early on makes total sense to me. Um, so should you consider going to an IPAL school? Absolutely. Uh, but then you also have to understand that there's going to be a lot of work involved in getting the education and examination components, um, I guess, uh, completed in tandem with each other. Yeah, so I like drawing diagrams to describe stuff. So like, for example, if this is the amount of time it takes you to, um, you know, to go to school, then you also have, you know, this amount of time of experience that you need to get. And then one of the enhancements they've recently made is now you can start your exam at about the same point, right? And then you can, you know, however long, however long that takes you. But this program actually, um, let's see, it overlaps, it actually pushes the exam backwards so that you can... Right, it overlaps with education. Right. So, I mean, you still have the same mm -hmm. amount of experience that you have to get, but in theory, you could have your exams and your education done, um, you know, before you, you know, by the time you graduate. Is that right? Yes, you're right. And uh, again, there are only a few uh, schools that have been accepted into this track because of how specific the curriculum needs to be. And CARB is making sure that the curriculum that they offer can support such a track because it is, you know, a heavy track. Mm -hmm. So um, the website has, so the website has a lot of the information and has each of the schools that have been accepted listed on there. And every every year there seems to be more that have been approved. So just to say that back, that was the, that list of schools is on NCARB, is that right? Yes, there's a list of schools. Okay, I haven't looked there lately. I'll have to go check it out. So go to ncarb.org to find out what schools. Um, anything else here, anything to add, uh, Jessica? Um, I, I think one important thing to add for IPAL, and it is curriculum dependent um, based on the school that you would select to go to, but not only is it a good thing to start considering the examination process and going over content that you would be tested on, um, but it's also an opportunity for you to get connected with local firms and have either a co-op or gain some uh, experience in, in the summer, which is pretty standard now, getting an, an internship or um, something similar like that during breaks. They, that can overlap in education as well. I know that it does for some students at this point, but I think partnering with your school and an IPAL program is definitely a good way to ensure that you have assistance getting some type of experience while you're in school. I know um, a lot of schools are actually trying to partner with local firms that 
can either come in and talk to students or you can have days where you go and visit firms and sort of shadow architects and get a sense of what's going on in a firm versus what you're doing in school and understand how they're different and similar in some cases. So it's, it's a great opportunity to get a little bit of each of those components before you enter into the world of architecture. <laughs> and I think it's probably useful to say here that the idea behind all of this was sort of acknowledgement by NCARV, like, gee whiz, this takes a long time um, to get licensed. In fact, when I got licensed, you know, you couldn't take the exam until you were done. So, like, it took all this time. But uh, they got rid of that. Um, and now you can take the exam and overlap that with your experience. And as you're saying, uh, those internships that you can take, which you don't have to be in an IPAL program to go no. get internship experience uh, that counts towards your AXP. Um, but uh, if you do that, right, the sooner you start, then the sooner you'll be done with your experience, the sooner you'll get licensed, and, and then all the happy things. Yeah, now you afterwards. can actually earn experience still from high school. Yeah. So uh, really? things have been, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh. Streamlining is pretty key uh, to all these recent changes, and I yeah. think that shows every time that you see a new NCAR by the numbers. Yep. All right, good stuff. So let's, uh, let's move on to the next question here. Um, Jessica, what are the AXP requirements? What's the best way to keep track of those hours? All right, so I'm gonna lead us to NCARB again, <laughs> um, only because they have some very great documentation that has recently come out called, um, Gabby, you can correct me, but I'm pretty sure it's the AXP guidelines. Is that? Um, yeah. Yes. It's a wonderful PDF that you can download from NCARB's website, keep it with you. Um, I think it's good to keep it with you for both the purpose of logging your hours during experience and for starting to consider taking exams because they have these uh, this great list on a area basis called the 96 tasks and they are divided amongst those six areas. And I almost kind of think of them as like questions. Did I do whatever, fill in the blank. Um, did I perform a building code analysis? Yes, yes I did. Then I can then log hours under project planning and design. And I think using that document in a way to understand what kind of experience you're documenting under that experience area is very important. Um, so like I said, you can take a look at all of those 96 tasks listed under the six different experience areas. Um, I think the best way to keep track of those hours um, is, is really on a person-by-person -person basis, but I always recommend that you sort of get familiar with the way that your office is recording billing. How do they expect you to document your time spent working on projects? Um, obviously, they're going to have, maybe they have the same way that NCARB does on a quarter hour basis. Um, maybe they don't, but it can definitely start as a guide for you to be then translating that into your NCARB logging. Uh, they also have an app which is super great <laughs> because you can do it on your phone, you can print out all of your documents, you can sit there and do it really fast. Um, I believe the application is called um, My AXP. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. 
So it's really helpful that you can kind of do that on the fly now instead of having to sit down at a computer and, um, you know, you still can, but it's really good to have um, the app as an option. Hey guys, just um, when I when I did this, it was about three hour, three years of experience that you basically needed to get. Is it about it's about the same amount of hours at this point? Is that right? So I believe NCARB's position is thirty seven forty are the hours that you should be fulfilling within those six different experience areas. Got it. I think it used to be 5,600 universally, and that Yikes. translated roughly into about three years. Um, I think that this ex this amount of experience is like roughly two years of experience. Man, you guys are so lucky. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is great. Uh, that, but... There's a caveat to that. Just going to interject really quick that it is uh, jurisdiction-based, and so some jurisdictions do require uh, X amount of hours uh, equaling three years of experience or more hours or just three years of experience. Um, so while it is any firm's recommendation to keep it to 3740, uh, always check with the jurisdiction. Yeah, and here, um, here's one thing I want to share with you guys. I didn't really realize this until, you know, now we, we run an architecture learning business, so now I've learned all sorts of things. And one of the things I, I didn't really realize is you know, going back, and I don't actually know how far it goes back. It might be 30 or 40 years back. Um, actually, NCARB, you know, at some point in time, right, NCARB didn't exist. Maybe it was 50 years ago. I'm not exactly sure. But the basic idea was that every single state, if you wanted to be licensed, let's say, in Illinois or, or Massachusetts or wherever, you called up their, you know, their uh, board of regulation. They had their rules. They had their test. And you dealt specifically with that state. And so if you wanted to go to a different state, oh, my God, it was a big deal and, like, um, it was really time-consuming and, and troublesome for how you did that. Basically, what NCARB did was they sort of, you know, as a non-profit, they came together and said, hey, we're going uh, to create some sort of standard process, and we're going to try to get buy-in from every single state um, for this process. And for the most part, they were, they were able to create a standard process. That's why we have the ARE. Um, every state, I'm pretty sure, accepts the ARE. Um, and or requires it. But for example, if for those of you who are from California, you'll know that you have this supplementary exam which um, gets into you know, issues around earthquakes and seismic, right? Um, and so that's one of those instances where here's a state who said, okay, yeah, we'll adopt um, NCARB's rules and regulations, but we're gonna do something a little bit different. So that's why, that's kind of the history and that's actually why um, you need to go to your licensing advisor because everyone's a little bit different and as Gabriella is saying, um, most, you know, as NCARB is making changes even up to today, um, they're still trying to get buy-in from all the different states and, you know, for the most part they're getting that. You know, there might be a, a hand, you know, one or two here and there that might not agree anymore. So that's why you want to keep, keep an eye out. Anything to add to that, uh, you guys, or how did I do? Did I pass? You passed. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think that was definitely really good to mention that NCARB is going to have a position on all of the requirements that are listed on their website. It's it's really a starting point for you to understand what kind of requirements you're facing, but ultimately you need to understand what your state requires. Um, you can be concerned about other states when you want reciprocity, <laughs> but 
Let's get that first license. Yeah, I was going to say, that's actually one of the cool things that NCARB does. They have this thing called NCARB certification. So basically, once you get licensed and you're all done and you're like, yay, I'm licensed in Illinois or wherever, um, you can apply for certification and um, it will basically automatically allow you to get a license. Maybe not exactly automatically, but for the most part, very easily allow you, very easily and quickly allow you to get uh, a license in another state that accepts certification, and I'm pretty sure that they all, they all do. So that's a handy little thing that they offer as well. All right, we'll move on to the next one here. Gabriella, um, tell me, what do, you, what do you need to do in order to be eligible to take the ARE? Um, Jurisdiction-specific, so, uh, but generally, you need to apply for testing eligibility by submitting your education transcripts um, or, or that similar documentation to prove you completed the education requirements. Um, and this is done through your NCARB record uh, by uh, coordinating the transmittal of your transcripts from your school to the NCARB office, and a fee is normally associated with, with this process. But um, this is all prompted by the NCARB website as you begin the process of registering for an ARE. Um, so once you begin the process, the website will prompt you, prompt you what to do, and it will say, uh, here's where you submit your education transcripts, or um, you have already fulfilled that requirement, go ahead. And then uh, another thing that's going to come up is um, where you're going to get that first registration. Uh, a lot of people don't realize this, but it is important to select that first date before you start testing. You're going to have to put a date down at that point. Um, and so uh, things to note, for instance, Wisconsin, Canada can begin taking the ARE anytime, according to the website. Uh, but in New York, Canada can begin taking the ARE uh, after nine units of education completed. So that was updated to account for the IPAL students. Um, I, information on all of this can be found on the ARE 5.0 guidelines, which I, um, always recommend reading before beginning the examination components uh, because it has all of the nitty-gritty things that you want to have some awareness of you know um, it might not be something that you have to go back to often but at least once definitely read the ARE 5 guidelines is it, is it um, called a, hand a handbook or guidelines there are both there's a handbook and there's there a handbook. Yeah. <laughs> do we want to read both? You probably do. <laughs> Absolutely. And these are both um, downloadable from NCARB's website, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay, so if you haven't done that, if you're listening in, if you haven't done that, pause this, go to ncarb.org, download ARE 5 handbook and their guidelines, right? Yeah. The difference between them is that the ARE 5 handbook talks really about the content of the test. Um, and the guidelines is really the the protocol, the logistics, the uh, what to do when you get to the test center, the what to what happens if you fail, um, how do you become eligible, so that sort of stuff. And the handbook has, for instance, the references, what kind of content you find in in the test, how were the tests created, things like that. Awesome. Okay. Um, anything to add to this, Jessica? I think that's pretty straightforward. No, I, that's, yeah, very straightforward. Okay, so then on that topic, um, how long do you think you should spend studying for the ARE? This is a gotcha question. Um, and what division should you take first? Another, this is a double gotcha yeah. question. <laughs> um, 
studying is definitely a personal preference. Um, and how much time you spend doing it is, is going to be directly related to your work schedule and your personal schedule um, for that matter. And finding time that works for you to be the most productive in that time. Uh, Gabby mentioned in a conversation previously that she preferred studying in the morning and and that that's what was working for her. For me, uh, I just really enjoyed cramming on the weekends, <laughs> which is maybe not the best route, um, but it was the it was really the the best opportunity for me to set aside the most amount of time and to be really productive in that amount of time. Um, I also I had a conversation with someone recently that I feel is is good for this topic. How much time should you spend studying? You know, everybody wants to know what should I study also and how much time should I spend doing that? Um, the best strategy that I have learned to take on at this point is to take every single practice exam and epically fail that practice exam <laughs> before I go and start my studying because at that point I know here's what I don't know and here's what I need to definitely improve upon or I, it also helpful in identifying your strengths. What are the things that you do know? And that can sort of help you navigate through all of the resources that are out there. There definitely are a lot of good resources out there, whether it's books or videos, Black Spectacles, you're already listening. Right. <laughs> um, it's, it's a lot to take in at one time. So I think knowing your strengths and weaknesses before you go into it, really helpful in determining what resources are gonna be the best for you. Gabriella, any thoughts on this? Uh, yeah, I definitely agree that uh, how long and, and when and how to study, is it's just so personal. Um, so everyone's going to find their own way to do that. Uh, in terms of the resources, I think that NCARF has been doing pretty great at show, showcasing what each exam is about is the video prep series on YouTube. I tend to recommend it to people who, who aren't quite sure which test to take first and, you know, should I go with this, should I go with that. Uh, just watch the videos. They're very short and it'll give you just enough insight to, to say you uh, in, in some direction. Uh, and I, I can't recommend the communities that they've created for A4.0 and 5.0 which they, they work like a forum that gets moderated and responded by both uh, peer candidates and NCARB staff. So you can actually get an official NCARB answer on your test question, which is something that did not happen uh, a few years ago. I mean, I, I took ARI 4.0 and I didn't have that. <laughs> um, so I can't uh, recommend that enough. Yeah, that's great advice. <clears throat> and just for those of you who are kind of looking for like kind of a basic idea, um, I mean, so for ARE 5.0, there are six divisions or six exams. They call them divisions. Um, you know, we generally see people taking like two weeks if you're doing it pretty fast um, for each exam. Um, I would say, you know, taking one exam a month is pretty common. Um, so if you think about it, you know, you can probably get it done in six months. And I know when I took it, you know, I wanted to give myself a little bit of space in case I failed one or two. You know, it's, it's pretty common for someone to fail one or two exams, so you might want to bake a couple of months in there. You have to wait 60 days, as far as I understand right now, um, in order for you to, you know, to retake an exam. So, um, 
you know, if you figure oh, I might fail one or two, then maybe add on two months, call it three months. So, you know, you should be able to get the ARE done in a year if you're focused and, and committed to just knocking it out. Which is, of course, you know, what we try to advocate a lot for. It's why we have that group coaching program so that, like, you basically, you kind of, like, hook onto a train that is going to stop at all six exams once a month or once every two months. Um, and, uh, and, you know, you're going to take them. So, um, okay, good. Let's move on to the next one. Yeah, rolling clock. I swear to God, I still don't know what the rolling clock is. Um, Gabriella, can you please tell me what is the rolling clock? What, what should people know about it? <laughs> Yes, I always refer back to to the verbiage uh, and the guidelines because that that's what helps me. I totally am with you that I never really know what exactly that means. So, a passing grade for any division of the ARE is valid for a, a period of five years, after which time uh, the division will expire unless the candidate has completed the ARE. So, you take a test. And you passed it, that pass is valid for an initial period of five years. Now, of course, life happens, right? Um, so extensions can be granted, uh, such as the birth of a child, the adoption of a child, um, if the ability to test was not possible due to a medical condition, if there was uh, military service involved, any other life causes. And so requests can be submitted directly to NCARB. Uh, there's a form they are supposed to fill out, um, which is found uh, in the ARE guidelines. Uh, it's called the extension request form. Uh, and then you should just submit the form along with proper documentation of that cause that you're saying. So if, you, if you're a new parent, you might want to submit the birth certificate of your child. Uh, and it must be received by the rolling clock end date. That's the only thing. How did I do? So if you um, you pass Division One on May first of twenty eighteen, you have to pass these guys here five years from that date. Is that right? Yep. So you have five years before that that pass expires. And then if it expires, so let's say you get some of these done, but not all of them done, then what happens? And so, you have to retake that test unless you have um, the extension granted for, for some cause uh, that has been communicated at NCARB already. Correct, yeah. If you are not able to pass the remaining five exams after you completed your first exam by, oh, math. 23? 23, 5-1-23, then that one division expires. So... So, for it's example, kinda, if you got these up through here, but you didn't get this one here, number six, then what happens? Then the oldest, the oldest exam expires, so you'd have to retake two exams instead of having one exam got to it. go. So, yeah, e each of the exams will have, um, if I understand correctly, when I'm looking at my chart of past exams, there will be the date that you took the exam, and then the whether you passed or failed, mm -hmm. and then there's a date next to it that's telling you when that exam expires. So unless you take all six exams on the same day, all six exams will have a different date. So on your month-by-month -month example, if you took one of these exams every month, then the division that you passed on May 1st of 2018 
will be the first exam to expire, then the second exam, then the third exam, if you're not able to complete all your exams yeah. in five years. With that being said, some states have different additional requirements on top of NCARB's position on this rolling clock. I can speak for Illinois um, because I'm in Illinois. Illinois' rolling clock is every three years. And so I don't, I'd need to get it confirmed and I'm happy to do that later on. But I believe Illinois is that you just need to verify that you're still taking your exams. Um, every three years. I don't think that they'll uh, contact NCARB and say, remove the pass, they must take it again. But um, you just have to verify that you're still going through the process. And I think I just sort of want to add here, um, we've spoken to so many people who are taking these exams, right? And like, um, we're, for some reason, we're emphasizing this particular question or, or issue of the rolling clock. Like, this should totally not be an issue. Like, if you're doing this right, this is something you are never going to think of. And I'm proud to say that I still don't really know what the rolling clock is. Hopefully you won't know what the rolling clock is either um, uh, for two reasons. Number one is, like, there's a ton of reasons to basically, like, commit to taking all the exams sorted together. So, like, taking one every two weeks or one every four weeks or whatever, like, one after the other after the other, like... It's much easier in terms of what's going on in your life and, you know, the things you learn from one division sort of roll into the next one a little bit. And so you go through this whole, like, examination process that takes six or seven months or whatever. Um, it, it, it's such a better approach. Um, a lot of people will allow life to get in the way. Mm-hmm. And certainly I can – I'm channeling Mike Newman right now and, like – you know, there is never going to be a better time to take the exam than right now. Um, so wherever you are, I mean, so many folks who uh, we've spoken to, they kind of let life get in the way. And then, you know, they're 30 or 40 and they're like, man, I wish I would have gotten licensed. It's so much harder now. Um, so there's so many reasons for this to not be a, a, a hopefully a concept that you have to worry about. Definitely. All right. Um, Gabriella? We want your master checklist for test day. Tell me what you got. <laughs> well, um, I think that there's the, the protocol checklist and there's also the personal checklist, right? Uh, Jessica and I have talked a little bit about this. Um, yeah. The protocol really is, you know, you arrive 30 minutes before your scheduled test, you check in per metric, you lock in your things in a, in a locker, have to make sure to bring uh, the correct identification, so your driver's license or your password. Uh, the important thing here is that the name on that ID, you must match the name on your NCARB record. Um, so if you're changing the name, um, make sure to match. Uh, everything they bring must fit uh, inside the small locker that they give you, and they'll provide keys and lock and everything. Uh, you can bring food and water, but it must it has to stay in the locker aside from um, any scheduled breaks or any unscheduled breaks that you that you do take. Um, you cannot wear any digital um, watches or analog watches. No Fitbits, no um, step counters. Uh, basically, you enter through the metal detector, so uh, be conscious of what you're going to wear, so you don't have to spend time, you know, taking everything off and putting things back on. Um, and then uh, reviewing notes and any other study materials is, is extremely prohibited. Um, so there's no such thing as taking a taking a break from the test and then going to your locker and pulling a study material. Just honestly, don't bring anything that might come up as a study material to the test center because that's a risk that you take. 
said that you know you might not get to that um so um the, and of course you know all of this aside uh so important to take a good night's sleep the evening prior to the test i've been one to feel exhausted in the middle of the test and there's nothing worse than that um make sure to eat have uh you know food in your stomach be uh go in feeling energized and calm is quite important um really only bring in the essentials whatever you really feel like you need and again like my advice is to just not bring any study materials um and yeah have some confidence go in feeling strong and feeling that that you know the content and if you pass them the straight and if you fail it's also okay <laughs> yeah. yeah i love that last one there <clears throat> that one's really good anything to add here jessica um i just want to reiterate as it's been sort of a recent issue with some candidates the the matching of your identification and your NCARB record. I, mean, I think a lot of people have experienced situations where their driver's license uh, says Jessica M. Parmenter on it, but their NCARB record says Jessica Parmenter. That's considered non-match. <laughs> or a lot of people who have recently gotten married, women who have changed their names. It's just making sure that all of your identification is matching. It's really just like any other, like going to the airport. <laughs> you just got to make sure that it matches. Um, so I know that it's been an issue for a lot of people lately, so definitely just double check that the name on your NCARB record matches all of your IDs. And yes, have lots of confidence in yourself. You're awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing how many folks we hear from who that's their problem is just, you know, like having, finding that calm and focus, uh, feeling confident going into this. Um, as Mike Newman often says, again, I'm channeling my mic, um, you know, imagine yourself in your architecture firm and look around and look at some of those bozos who work at your firm who are licensed, <laughs> right? That you know you're way smarter than. Like, they got licensed. Are you serious? Like, you can get licensed too. And um, the other thing here is remember, they're not actually testing you uh, to figure out if you're an expert. They're testing whether you, and we like to joke about it, you know, whether you're minimally competent, which basically means they're just sort of testing the basics here. Um, so they're not going to give you some like insanely complicated thing, but you know they're going to they're going to test you in all the different basics. Um, so with that, the last part here is you know sometimes folks fail and like that's okay. Uh, another Mike Newman channeling moment here is he'll often say sometimes the best way to uh, prepare for the exams is actually to take it and not really worry about whether you pass or fail because actually that experience of knowing what it's like to be in the test center. You know, knowing what the pressure of the clock feels like, going through the types of questions, like kind of wrapping your head around the whole experience helps you kind of understand like, wow, okay, like, you know, these are reasonable questions. I can knock this out. Um, so, again, those are a couple of Mike Newman channelings there. Mike would be proud of me. Um, all right, good. Let's move to the next one here. Um, Gabriella, what are some of... Um, what are some other resources? I know we've talked about a variety of them. I kind of feel like maybe maybe we already know the answer to this question. Maybe this is a test for everyone who is listening. What are some other resources? Um, I think that there's a key one here, which is number one, you want to call your state licensing advisor. And then number two, duh, you want to go to NCARB. 
dot uh, org. That's probably going to get you pretty much everything pretty you far. need. Guys, yeah. am I missing anything here? Pretty far. What else? Um, Is there any other kind of like small say, things we should look at? I would just say uh, NCARB has been uh, pretty good about compiling resources, uh, such as the YouTube channel, which has short videos on each of the exams, uh, the communities, which allow candidates to speak to each other and to NCARB reps, uh, and just generally NCARB social media. So, you know, follow them on Instagram. They're constantly posting posting tips, uh, updates. And, uh, yeah, I would also recommend checking with the local AA component. I'm, I'm heavily involved with the Boston Society of Architects here in Massachusetts. And we host um, the ARE Success Team year long, which uh, allow candidates to get together and form a group. And, and the BSA has study materials available in-house for free. All you really need to do is give a deposit, which then gets returned to you. So check in on the local aid component. You never know what they can offer. Yeah, that's a really good one mm -hmm. um, to to add to this list. Anything here, Jessica, we should add, do you think? Um, no, I think all of the, the NCARB resources are really great. And definitely, uh, I think you can use the NCARB website to also figure out who your licensing advisor is. Uh, whether you're in school, that should be easy to determine. It's a professor more than likely, uh, but you also have state uh, licensing advisors. Like I, I'm the licensing advisor for Illinois. You can call me, you can email me, we can talk some more. Um, I think it's also really good to remember that a great resource is other people who are taking the ARE also. You can have a community with candidates in your office who are going through the same process as you and you can talk with each other about what, what you're struggling to understand or questions that are hard for you to work through. So inviting a community of other people that are going through it. Uh, there also exists communities over the web that are just people who are looking for advice. How did what did you do to understand this? And and I think having you know it's not just for an accountability check, but also just to you know have a have some good engagement there too. Yeah, I think that's a really good one. All right, guys, this is great stuff. We have some questions from our audience, so um, I'll address them here. Karen's asking, how much time do you have to complete the exam at the testing center? And I'm going to scoot back here to here we go. So that's one of those things you're going to want to look at, the ARE 5.0 Handbook and Guidelines. That's where you're going to find um, information and details about you know, how long the tests take and what's, what's on the test, et cetera. So all those details are there. It actually varies depending on what exam you're talking about. So it might be maybe the shortest one is two or three hours and the longest one is four or five hours or something like that, sort of in that ballpark. Uh, but it varies, so you want to check the guidelines. Um, another question here, uh, which was from... Uh, Carrie L., thank you for helping us remember that we skipped over this question, what division should you take first? Um, guys, correct me here. Um, I think our opinion here as, uh, with our exam prep is with ARE 5.0, which at this point 4.0 is pretty much, pretty much gone, almost gone, June 30th, <laughs> almost uh, two and a half months and it's gone. But uh, let's, so let's talk about ARE 5.0. 5.0 is... Um, it's organized basically in the design process. So it sort of goes from schematic design to design development to construction documents to CA. 
Um, so it kind of goes in that linear format. Our opinion here is you probably just want to take it in that order. The only, um, the only caveat here is the two exams that are traditionally sort of at the beginning there, um, which are um, project management and practice management, I believe. You could probably take those sort of whenever you want. Um, but we've generally been arguing that, you know, just take them from the first exam through the sixth. This used to be a bigger deal with ARE 4.0 and then 3.1 and 3.0. Like there was a whole big strategy around taking one first and then the next. With ARE 5.0, it seems pretty logical that you'll just take it sort of in the order of the design process um, because sort of the information you're learning kind of builds as you move along. Um, and it also just follows your natural, the way you think through projects anyways. Um, any, any refinements to this, guys? Um, yeah, I, I think a good strategy, even though you can, you can have eligibility for taking your exams fairly early on now, uh, but the fact that the AXP guidelines and the ARE 5.0 exams are a, a straight alignment at this point, the name of your experience area is the same as the exam that you're going to take. So a lot of the times I think it's really helpful to have a list of those 96 tasks as they're divided into your experience areas because then you'll understand exactly what you're going to be tested on. And then uh, maybe you can look at it this way. If you finish an experience area, that should prompt you to think, I'm ready to take this exam. Mm. If you, you want to kind of move through it a little bit more slowly like that, um, that's a good way to look at it. But otherwise, you at least have those resources to decide, I'm ready to take exams now, and here's what I need to know. It's a good way to think about it. I hadn't really thought about that, that since they've aligned AXP with the exams. And basically, like, you know, this is one thing when we were going through it, you know, you would talk through your project manager or whoever was leading your studio or whatever, and you would sort of, you know, you would say, hey, I'm trying to get a license over here and look at my hours like these are this is where I need need help and for the most part I mean I've never had a manager who was like screw you I don't care <laughs> no. what you need yeah. um, but instead they would generally sort of say like okay cool let me see where I can get that experience for you and then maybe once you have it locked up for one you know division then you yeah. go take the exam it's an interesting approach I haven't heard that one before Gabrielle anything to add on this uh, no I, I absolutely agree with Jessica that you should really uh understand where your work experience is aligning and uh, maybe look into the area that most um, most aligns with what you've been doing at work. Uh, personally, when I took ARIA 4.0, there were uh, a few exams that uh, kind of overlapped in content a little bit. And so I took those three first as opposed to the other three. Um, but I don't think that that's kind of how it's going with ARI 5.0. So I definitely would start by uh, looking at what you've done at work and how that aligns with the test content. That's awesome. And you know, we have quite a few questions here uh, from folks who are describing, they have sort of different scenarios with their, um, let's say their NCAR record or, or whether, you know, you know, if they're from overseas or they're from a, a different state or lots of different variations uh, of questions of, you know, um, of their licensing, let's say, situation. Um, and so this is a perfect sort of, again, time to kind of advocate. Um, what you want to do is if you have kind of a, let's call it a weird situation, one where you're not really sure what to do because you have a unique situation, you want to contact your licensing advisor for your state. Um, they're going to have the specific answer. So I can't emphasize that enough. 
um, you want to talk to your licensing advisor. And if that doesn't work, you know, maybe your licensing advisor will advise you to talk to someone at NCARB. <laughs> Sometimes that's the answer. But you always want to start with your mm -hmm. licensing advisor. So, guys, um, if, uh, and maybe Gabrielle, I'll ask you this. Um, if I was someone who's listening to this and, and wondering, gee, how am I going to figure out my, you know, unusual situation? Okay, fine, Mark, you're telling me to call my licensing advisor. How, how do I find my licensing advisor? Where do they go to find them? So um, I'm pretty sure that you can find that on the NCARB website okay. in, under resources um, or uh, look up your state board and they should be able to send that information to you. And the third option is also the local AIA component. Um, yep. they, I, I get a lot of referrals through the, the Boston Society of Architects because they are my local AIA component, for instance. Um, and yeah, just to kind of circle back, uh, the position of the architect licensing advisor is a volunteer one and really we're here to be the point of contact in between the general public and candidates and NCARB. And so a lot of times, while well, we may have uh, a way to help or to um, at least give some direction to, to the candidate that needs, needs an answer, a lot of times the answer happens to be, you know, you need to go back to NCARB for this, for this situation. Um, and so it's not that we don't want to help, it's just that um, sometimes it is really is best to go through through them and, uh, you know, we, we're close with close to the people who work there and trust that they're going to give you the best answer possible. Awesome. All right, so that's a great uh, great point to close on. So I want to thank you, Jessica and Gabriella. Um, thanks to everybody who tuned in, who submitted their questions today. Um, just as a reminder, if you'd like to attend our next ARE Live broadcast, where we'll review um, a mock case study with Mike Newman for ARE 5.0, um, you can go to uh, blackspectacles.com slash podcast to register to attend. And just like today's episode, you'll have a chance to ask questions and share your answers with Mike for the live episode. I'm sorry, for live feedback during the broadcast. Um, and then again, to learn more about our ARE exam prep curriculum, you can go to blackspectacles.com where you can try out any other free course videos. Um, and if you want your boss to pay for your membership, be sure to visit blackspectacles.com firms to learn more about our firm memberships for firms of any, any size. As I mentioned at the top, for those of you who are ready to start preparing for the ARE right now, you can use coupon code STEPS41018PC to get a 15% discount for the entire duration of your ARE exam prep membership. And then finally, uh, tomorrow we'll send you an email follow-up about today's live broadcast. So please let us know what you think and share any suggestions you may have. For example, you know, we're always looking for new topics. So if there's something you're curious about and you think we, you know, it might be useful for us to do a topic on, I'd love to, to love to hear about it. So uh, please share your comments and thoughts with us. We really do read everything that you write. Um, and then we use that to tune up our next episodes. So with that, thank you guys for, for tuning in.